Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard. Today in the studio, I have the pleasure of meeting and talking with Sue Corbett Fergal. Welcome. Thank you. This is really fun. It's, uh, yeah, you've got a, a really, really cool background. So we're going to have a, we're going to have an excellent time talking today. Um, so uh, tell us about yourself, a little bit about yourself, who you're working for now, and, and, and so that they all know you're legit. <laughs> I'm legit. Um, I work for George Fox University okay. in Newburgh, and, and I've worked part time for them for about 25 years. Wow started way back my um we like we were just talking about when i got into the electrical business in oregon mm -hmm. you had to start over get the license i got the old four-year license the jle the jle did you did you hit all the endorsements on your jle when you i we had to go back both both my husband my husband's a supervising electrician oh, i wow. chose I chose to go into low voltage for reasons that you'll find out <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we had to go back and find all the people we worked for in California, all the, the head electricians of the companies and the oh, different wow. things, and have them all verify all the hours and the different trade positions we mm -hmm. had. So it was really laborious. I think we made two trips back. This was over, well, it's 30 not, years so, ago. So, so I did not have to do that for my JLA. I, mm -hmm. Because I came out of the military, they said, give me your DD-214. Really? Yeah, check off what you, what you can do, honestly. Oh, and so I went, well, I can do these so i checked off the ones i was familiar with the five i was familiar with and that was i didn't do the other ones and then when we went to lea they're like oh yeah you're not gonna you have to go sit in the class oh they made you go in class <laughs> no it was it was a big production because on top of the college degree and all the science and the physics i still had to go back and take regular electrical training and so it was very you worked for the so so you work for George Fox now now and right. and there's a and there's a lot of security and access fire. control and I fire. do a lot of fire mostly what, what kind of what uh, what kind of fire systems are you putting in well when when we got there I I went to work um, a year after my husband did we okay. both started the there's a company in McMinnville that has a security company mm -hmm. that we started and we worked on that for three years. And then he went to George Fox as a supervising electrician and found that all their fire systems were 1962 Siemens. Oh, no kidding. They were, they were all in disrepair. So can, can you say the company that you started? We started D&D &D Security. Oh, you started D&D? Yeah. Okay, no we kidding. Worked for it. Yeah, and nice. it was good for them because I had gone back to school and taken a year of DOS to be oh, able yeah. to set up everything digitally. Big, big timer. Big time. Big but, timer with the DOS. Oh, you. yeah. But it's basically <laughs> under everything. So it's, it really it's... came in handy. So we worked and um, we started all new accounts, all mm -hmm. new equipment. I think we started with a Demco. Mm -hmm. And we used, um, I think we used Central Station out in Estacada. This was way back. Yeah, I mean, they were starting. Yeah. And it was successful, and then so I did sales and installation for a while, and then I just switched over to installation because okay. I had little kids, and I worked part-time for mm -hmm. quite a while. So George Fox needed a supervising electrician, and they hired my husband, and then about a year later, he said the fire systems are a mess. 
Well, I had been learning fire and studying mm -hmm. it, so I designed a system for them for one of their big dorms. And it went through inspection with no changes. Mm -hmm. I went wow. exactly by the book, NFPA. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was Worked a lot. 72 <laughs> and said, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> and I laid it all out and put it on a blueprint, and they hired me uh, nice. at that point. So I was really fortunate over the years. Well, back in the good days, you know, there was a lot of classes available. Mm -hmm. The manufacturers, um, just different entities had really good classes, hands-on. Mm -hmm. And the school pretty much was willing to send me to any class there was. I went to Seattle. No I went to California. So, so they gave you fa ma like, like manufacturer's training? I had silent night training. Mm -hmm. uh, that was really good. I had, oh, there was all different ones, um, basic programming, mm -hmm. design. Uh, eventually going for NYSET. And I got up to NYSET too, but the mm -hmm. school didn't care and Newberg didn't care really. So I kind of let it go mm -hmm. and just continued to, to do everything. But you know, that's old school. I mean, you had to learn how to not only design, but you had to learn to install yeah. and to troubleshoot. And to troubleshoot. And then document everything. So, and test and all that. So, so you were doing all that. Everything. And so you basically left D&D and went over and Started another started. company for them, basically. Yeah, essentially. Because yeah, they weren't monitored. They, they, I think one or two were monitored. But we, we started over with all brand new equipment, mm -hmm. and switched them all over to CSM. Nice. And so, and then managing that, setting up their database. I've always managed their database, which we started also for D and D. So they got off the ground with a clean slate, basically, which was really nice. That's excellent for them. So it's been quite the adventure over time. My previous experience and my my college experience and that kind of thing came in handy because I got spread a lot thinner. Mm -hmm. I ended up managing all the elevator service and rebuilds and remodels. And so you I, oversaw all, those, all that work as well. So you oversaw the elevator contractors and yes. then work with the state inspectors to make oh, sure yeah. that the elevators are compliant. There's a lot to it that. A That's lot. a lot of work. That it, is a lot of work. <laughs> the biggest problem with George Fox is if they find out you can do it, mm -hmm. you get to do then it. That's your job. <laughs> so, and, and I was part-time for years because I, mm -hmm. I had kids and, you know, would take a few days off at least, and then come back and just drag the baby in with me. <laughs> it was very old school. I laugh Help now. Help mommy pull wire. Here you go. <laughs> Roll okay. that down the hall. Go sleep. I mean, until they started moving around, then I couldn't. But yeah, it, yeah, it was just part of our life uh, in a nice. lot of ways. So it's been a real adventure. And then things changed dramatically with COVID the school had to downsize considerably. Mm -hmm. And we had a new uh, financial officer who was looking for ways to kind of stop some leaks in the boat. And that's mm -hmm. pretty typical in academia. So we went from um, six people in the electrical department down to just Paul and I. So between the two of us, because of his supervisor's license and my extensive programming experience, we could do anything they wanted because no so, I, I also programmed lighting controllers and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But it's been really interesting. So if it's a PLC, you've got your you've got no. your hands on it. I took an entire week of PLCs and I will not program. That's not your cup of tea. No. <laughs> no, I Well lighting controllers are PLC to in some well, to some measure. Yeah, they are, but the software's more intuitive. It's more oh, of is the, it, really? it is the modern the modern lighting controllers or else they're, you know, handheld where you talk to them individually. 
but the big programs. So let's back up. So you can program the unit that controls all the lights, and then there's individual programmers that go out to program individual lights. Enlight is one of them. It's it's kind of like the idea of a uh, addressable fire system almost. Oh, okay. Where each light has an address, and <laughs> I haven't gotten. They're rid- all networked. <laughs> they're all networked together. Are they, and they're LEDs. They're LEDs. Uh-huh. Some of them are dimmable. Some are different colors. They're programmable. I don't do a lot of that. Mm-hmm because I only have so many hours in my life, but they would have me probably do that as well. But it's been really, my biggest problem is I get bored. So obviously that's not happened. I've been able to expand into different areas. And then we started, the school decided that they weren't gonna hire people right now, they were gonna outsource. Well, in our own company years ago, I'd had experience writing contracts and I wrote the contracts for D&D so I took on contracting mm-hmm. and specking out the electrical jobs now. Mm-hmm. And it took a little while to get back up to speed with regular electrical, um, but that's been kind of fun and I've enjoyed working with them. You really do have your hands on a lot, of, a lot of different things. A lot of different that's pies. Amazing. But being flexible too, I think helped, pre- you know, I have a part-time position, which mm-hmm. has been really good for me with a family. I work anywhere from minimum of 20 hours up to as many hours as I want nice. or need. And so the flexibility has been very, very important. And you don't get that with all jobs. No, yeah, you don't. You know, and when there's a big project and it has to be done, you know, I'm there. Yeah. And, but other times it's pretty much, you know, as needed. And Paul, and Paul still works there? He's, we both still work there. He both still work there. He's been full time. Well, um, and as a supervised electrician, he's carrying the, the, yeah. the electrical load for He's everything. got the bulk yeah, of it. he's got the whole thing. And he's a high voltage? Yeah, he's got a regular um, journeyman and then he got his supervisor's license oh, seven, 25 years ago. I think I it was it been a long time. I guess I answered my own question. Yeah. That, but yeah. <laughs> I know. But, but we, you know, and, and we did obviously specialize to some degree, but he, he also is very knowledgeable with fire, mm-hmm. but he never liked the programming as much. So I kind of got more into that. Huh. And, and it worked out. Um, I just, not everybody likes programming. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of LEAs that don't like programming. They really don't like it. Yeah, They'd rather I've met a lot that, that don't like it too, and I've met yeah. others that that's all they want to do. Exactly, like they just get stuck in that groove. Right. And, you know, I, I do a lot of programming myself, so do there's you? times. Yeah, when I sit down, there's times when I, I can sit down a program for six hours, seven hours, and go. I, I, I hope that's it. Like, <laughs> Done. Like, really, honestly, <laughs> I got to drop this thing. In. Yeah. I got to get moving because I got to go out in the field and do stuff. I can hear troubles piling up because you know we have such you're, a vast system that yeah you're you know, not you out there. Up one day and there's there's six troubles that weren't there before and uh, someone's got to fix them. You know, it's either me or my apprentice. So. Well, see, you're you're unusual because I I notice it seems with the newer LEAs especially they're either installers or they're programmers or they're designing. You don't. You don't do them all. No, I know. And that's true in HVAC. It seems to be true in elevator. A lot of your techie occupations, mm-hmm. uh, people that can integrate are harder to find. A very, very I hard to say. find. And when I teach, I talk about that yeah. because of the, first I try to get a student to look at how similar things are. Because mm-hmm. if you can program a fire alarm system, you can program a security system, you mm-hmm. can probably program an access control system. Right. You might be able to work on lighting. You know, I want sure. my students to understand that a lot of these systems have similar properties. You just have to recalibrate your head. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and don't be afraid of of the, right. you know like if like look look at you you got tossed in the lighting you you didn't cower in a corner and go I can't do this you embraced it and did it and if it doesn't come out right you go back and learn what you did wrong <laughs> a lot of times it's just that's, a function of how many hours <laughs> let, me, let me try that again <laughs> why are they all off or on or blinking well, or <laughs> well you you have a uh, a really unique background. So you and I both came from California. Yep. We're transplants up here. Yeah. Um, you, you were, you were. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, you got a degree in geology. Where'd you get that from? I went to um, Cal State Northridge, and then <laughs> wow. I, and then I spent a year in uh, up in Arcata and Humboldt State. Mm-hmm. So but, kids, Northridge is about as far north in LA as you could get, right before you go yeah. up to Magic Mountain. Yeah, right? it's it's pretty much this. Well, kind of the center. Kind of the yeah. Okay, it's a little bit of the center of the valley. But I, you know, I'd grown up hiking, and I was on the outdoors and mm-hmm. all that, and I liked hands-on stuff. But I just assumed I'd become a geologist. Well, I got a I got a job in a laboratory, a big laboratory. And they were taking college students, basically, that had science degrees. Mm-hmm. And then they they teach you vibration testing. Um, we tested rocket engines, airplane parts. So did you have parts. a vibrator, like the big, big shaker? shaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My grandfather did that for Teledyne Ryan oh, at Lindbergh go. Field. So oh, he, he shook uh, parts for the Apollo yeah. lunar landers and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, you had everything from super high frequency like jet engines, and then they brought in they built an earthquake simulator, and you could program. I mean, it's you can't really predict an earthquake, but it was as close as they could get. And um, then we would test uh, parts for nuclear reactors and simulate mm-hmm. a meltdown essentially with radiation and boiling water and vibration and extremely high voltage as they would get ripped apart from the bulkhead. So it was pretty exciting. That would be a cool lab to see. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, it was also extremely dangerous, yeah. and they weren't real always real careful about mm-hmm. stuff. So anyway, we worked there, and I, I worked with my husband after we weren't willing to change some paperwork for him, and they gave us a choice of explosives or high voltage. <laughs> So he said, oh, yeah, we'll take the high voltage. Um, some of that was very scary. Um, I was sent I was sent to witness some tests on the parts that we had, and it was literally like a Frankenstein movie. You'd see an arc through dry air that was 15 feet long from these things when How they ripped out. How much voltage were you working with? Probably 50,000, 60,000 volts. I'm, wow. I honestly don't remember at the time. Yeah. My experience with electricity was largely theoretical. It was from physics. Mm-hmm. So I understood electromagnetic fields and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I didn't have a real practical handle on the parts themselves. Well, and, and see, when, when you, and especially if you work in any nuclear physics where you're talking about million electron volts, yeah. you know, the energy that's right. contained in an atom and you start breaking them apart, breaking them neutrons apart. and all that stuff, that's, you know, a quantitative number. That, right. What does that really look like? In the real world. In the real world. Mm-hmm. You, you can't know? see it. And you can't see it. You know what its effects are. You can measure yeah. it with, you know, gamma ray and neutrons, how uh, in the neutron flow and stuff like that. Right. But you, you don't really, really get a chance to see it. Now you're working in a field where you can see it and you can actually see the electromagnetic side of the house. That's true. And of yeah. course, there you could, and if you're on the power distribution end, which is actually on the outside of the reactor, mm-hmm. that's where your wires rip out of your bulkhead and you see 
the arc that occurs from the separation. The radiation you would see only in the damage it did. You would see parts burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, would, they had us one time go to a lab. Oh, they sent my husband to the lab that day. And he said, yeah, the, the scientists up there told me, don't stand there, there's a little leak. I lost my, I went to the front office, I demanded my boss, I said, you send one of these old guys that already had kids. Yeah, no kidding. You send my husband on a little leak of radiation. Yeah. It was just stuff like that all the time. One of the guys got severely shocked. He stuck both hands into the backside of a 400 volt DC transformer. Ugh. And I heard him, he was in the same room and he comes out and he's, he's like walk, doing a duck walk. He's all squatted down on mm-hmm. one, couldn't stand up. Well, they just sent him home. And then, you know, he was, turned out he was okay. I was amazed he didn't get severe burns. Wow. But there was stuff like that would happen. So anyway, meanwhile, we decided we wanted a company of our own. What could mm-hmm. we do? Well, uh, Paul had a degree in industrial, some kind of industrial electronics thing. He had a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. So I liked electrical. Um, I went back to school for that. Mm-hmm. And we ended up getting in California that the license requirements were a little different back then and they mixed they had a C10 that was like a regular license and it was kind of all mixed together I mean this was 30 years ago over 30 years ago Mm -hmm. so I forget exactly we got the license and started installing alarms and we did that part-time and still worked at the lab well, I got injured. I was mm-hmm. witnessing a test, and the guy that was working for me was on drugs, and that was very common in the 80s. Um, a lot of people used cocaine, mm-hmm. and there was no drug testing. Well, whatever he was using, he opened the wrong valve, and the test setup exploded, and I oh, got a wow. piece of shrapnel in me. So <laughs> there was all this chaos, and we found out that they had basically cooperated with OSHA, and they had agreements, and they weren't going to fix anything. There was just a lot of stuff like that, which was pretty typical in the 80s, I think, Mm -hmm. in general. So we continued to do the alarms out in Apple Valley. That's where we wanted to move. We wanted to get out of the valley. The air was so bad. And I was starting to have some lung problems. So I was doing home shows. They were actually cleaning it up by the 80s. Remember remember what it was like in the 70s? Oh, yeah. You couldn't see across the street. Oh, my God. It was. And we just drive from Temecula and go into Riverside, and it was just like, oh, that was bad. It was terrible. Your eyes would water. Yeah. Your lungs would hurt. Your lungs would hurt. And both of my parents smoked, so I already was in a disadvantage. (laughs) I remember those times going. I remember everybody smoking. Everybody smoked. I'm like, and, you guys out of your and mind? Nobody had seatbelts in their cars. Uh-uh. That way, when you got burned, you could jump out of your seat. You know, it was. Yeah, it was a very bizarre time. A, it was a very bizarre it time. Was a lot of things, people. So you know, like the whole safety thing, it just wasn't as emphasized as it is mm-hmm. now, I guess. And um, I got a I got a back injury, laid me on, but I didn't file because as a woman, mm-hmm. you, you didn't file. There's no way you're going to file if you can help it. Um, so anyway, time went on, and they want they decided they wanted to keep us. Well, they were building a new laboratory in Virginia, and it's there. It's beautiful, and they mm-hmm. said, "We'll move you both, and it's yours." Wow. Ground floor opportunity, staggering amount of money. But we decided, no, we were going to be stupid and we were going to go out on our own. (laughs) Anyway, long story, we ended up bringing in enough business to quit the laboratory. Mm -hmm. 
and go start the alarm company out in Apple Valley. And there was a burgeoning drug trade, so we started doing well, and we specialized mm -hmm. primarily in new construction. I hate fiberglass with a passion. And so mm -hmm. since I was the one primarily doing the sales and specking, I said, well, well, we had 15 contractors that just would call us up and order a package on the homes. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really good. Well, we started getting bigger and bigger homes, um, multi-million dollar homes at mm -hmm. the time. And I, uh, this was before you had cell phones, you know, you'd go out, oh, yeah. this is the desert, right? I'd be mm -hmm. on my way to Barstow and the pager would go off and it's like, Oh my gosh, should I find a phone? Is it important? Right. Secretary was pretty good, but I thought, well, what if it is important? Anyway, I find a phone and she says, um, the FBI's here, you need to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time there was a company called FBI that made security systems. Yeah, I remember the FBI sales. So I said, what do you mean? Is it the sales rep? And she says, no, it's the FBI and he's sitting on your desk. You need to come back. The real FBI. The real guy. The real ones. So I turn around, I drive 20 miles back. And I go in my office and he's sitting there with his feet on my desk. Nice. And he says, hi, my name's John White. I'm from the FBI. And we were really straight. I, I was super careful with accounting and all that. And I thought, why is the FBI here? He says, you know all those really expensive homes you've been doing? I said, yeah. He says, um, do you ever look at the checks they pay you with? I said, oh no, they pay us all in cash. <laughs> and, I ran, and then I'm thinking, how stupid am I? So I ran over to the safe and opened the safe and we had a big pile of cash in there. I said, see, it's all here. I'm mm -hmm. gonna declare it because I thought it was something to do with taxes. He says, well, why are you protecting them all? I said, what are you talking about? Where they buy massive security systems, they pay us well and we put them in. Yeah. He says, well, they're all selling franchises to manufacture metamphetamines. Oh. They weren't users. I mean, you could tell. No kidding. And he says, you're either going to cooperate with us or we're going to yank your alarm license. Sure. So that was nasty. Well, anyway, two of them turn state's evidence on the other one, ends up in jail. And I get a phone call from the lady in jail, and she says, you're dead. You bugged Ugh. our house. Oh, my gosh. And this, we had no idea what was going on, right? So I noticed we lived out way up in the sticks. Our house was up in the sticks. We had an office in town. And you don't realize this either. I, mean, I had no you idea. don't think about it. No, I, no. we were just... Because someone's paying with cash, you don't care. We didn't know. They paid cash. And then he says, but I did think about it. The, the women, one of the women, they had video businesses. And mm -hmm. they'd hand the drugs out in the cases. And I looked at her. She said, do you know anything about profit and loss statements? And I said, well, a little bit. I looked at it. She made like 100 bucks that month. And I'm going, I wonder why she lives in a multi-million dollar house, right? Mm -hmm. Then I really sounded stupid. So they're stupid. laundering it all through the... They're laundering it through the video stores. Through the video stores, yeah. Well, the lady called from prison and said, you bugged our house, you're dead. We decided it was time to get out. We yeah, had no a kidding. very small child. We had a, I think she wasn't even six months old. We sold the house over the weekend for cash. <laughs> <laughs> and moved... Oh, my god. 300 miles north. Yeah. Good to, call. to uh, Mammoth Lakes, and mm -hmm. we got out of the security business for three years, four years, whatever it was. We bought an auto parts store. We sold our business to Protection One, mm -hmm. and they they back then, you know, you could do really well. It wasn't like now where you put the systems in for virtually nothing. You know, we we'd get a good price for putting them mm -hmm. in. We made money. We had twelve employees, and we sold it to Protection One, sold our house, and got out. 
So we bought an auto parts store in Mammoth Lakes that turned out to be, it, it was all, the books were all cooked. It was all fake. We lost everything that we'd made from Protection One. Oh my gosh. And at the time, Oregon, uh, there was no real work in California. It was a real dead zone. This would be the late 80s? This, this was point? late 80s. Yeah. And my husband was driving 300 miles back down to Fort Irwin to do work for a contractor down there in mm -hmm. underground labs and that whole thing, which is a different story. But anyway, um, we ended up Oregon needed electricians, and they were kind of inviting people mm. to come for construction. So we moved to Oregon and started over. So that was when we had to make all the trips back down to the lab and all these places we'd work to accumulate all the signatures, because mm -hmm. they were really hardcore. To verify that you had the background. And right, all the hours, yeah. how many hours you had. And so, and then I still had to go back to school here mm -hmm. So finally, we both got licensed, and that's when D&D, you know, D&D um, &D hired him on, and then he got licensed, and I think he paid him more than $10 an hour after that, but it was pretty rough in the beginning. Wow. So I ended up going to work for D&D originally to do sales, to build the company up, and then when I got my limited energy license here, I went to work for him. Huh. So, yeah, it's been... It's been very, very interesting. Yeah, you've had a, you have had a very interesting. <laughs> it's, but all that experience, um, like now with George Fox, when things got a lot more complicated and we're deciding, you know, the contracts were a lot bigger and you're dealing mm -hmm. with a lot of money, they've basically left us alone to run the electrical department pretty much the way we used to in our own business. I True. do a lot more of the interfacing with the customers, so to speak, the contractors, mm -hmm. and then he's free to stay hands-on. We did hire an LME finally, so mm -hmm. you know has a little bit of help. But the fire systems, we still do all that. And, and you do the inspections too, and all that. We we're getting to the point where we're trying to get them tested, mm -hmm. out outsourced. But outsourcing is not a free lunch because no, it's a pain. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time, and mm -hmm. you and you put a lot of trust. Right. And uh, I did a lot of that work too, and did I managed you? a lot of it for a while. And it's yeah, and you you can you can hire phenomenal inspectors. You can hire thing people you think are phenomenal, I and know. then you look at the reports. You're like, okay, you know, yeah, it looks what, good, what but the, what the hell did you do? I know, you know, and so you can. It really does run the gambit, and and that's yeah. and when you're testing a safety system, life safety system, and it's. You know, you put your your name to it, right? You do. You are you are mm -hmm. liable for that. You are. Your name is on it, and I. You know, I'm. I still have the twenty four hour phone for electrical and fire mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and you know, take it seriously, and particularly if you have a dormitory with a hundred mm -hmm. students in there. That's a huge thing. You know, you're taking care of someone else's most precious item here, <laughs> and yeah. I'm really. You know, I get to the point though. It's interesting. They. They don't. I think kids used to know how to cook better because it seems like we have more pe frying panini under the smoke detectors and things like that. Things that aren't making sense. Evacuate the whole building. And yeah, yeah that gets a little old. But it's, it's a serious thing. And I also, now I manage the maintenance on the inverters, the backup generators. Mm -hmm. this, you know, it kind of expanded um, with the mechanical knowledge. So... That part's been interesting. I've enjoyed yeah. that. But I do, I, you know, it's just too many areas. So I, it's hard to get it all done. And it's a far cry from geology, which is what you originally 
Originally, you want to go rock hounding kind of thing, and well, I began to. I was going to be a paleontologist. I wanted to. Oh, look, you were going to go straight I to was, the dinosaur. I was going to find. I wanted to look for oil. So have. Oh, really? Yeah, that's. I wanted to be a rich petroleum geologist. That okay. was my intent. Okay. So in Northridge at the time, you know, everybody was competing for that job with Shell mm-hmm. Oil or mm-hmm. whatever it was. I never. And people yeah. don't know, L.A. is sitting on a bed of oil. There's oh yeah. Oil all over. But a big piece of what you do is you end up consulting. Mm -hmm. And I did some um, soil and I worked for an engineering company for a short time after I left the lab. And I did drainage studies and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff on the maps. But you realize you tell people this is not a good place to build or it's a floodplain or a fire hazard and they build anyway. Right. And it began to look like you're going to spend a lot of time in court defending your decisions, mm-hmm. which didn't enthuse me. Or, or you tell them that, and then they their insurance when they go to get it insured. Yeah. You know, you you buy this house, you're on a floodplain now. You have to have flood insurance, right. which your deductible is high, huge. Mm-hmm. You know, your costs are high. Oh yeah. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Well. Well, this look is at where desert, you are. and when it gets wet, it floods. I mean, that's floods. the way it works. And yeah, they can't believe it. Okay, living in California, and, and most of my time was spent in San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, right mm-hmm. up, you know, anywhere from Chula Vista, El Cajon, North County. Oh, okay, yeah. And so, you know, it's a whole. That's a whole different world. Oh, it is. And, it's, and yeah. You, yeah, you don't. People don't realize just what a desert's like when you put a million people in it. It's not no. fun. No, it's not. And the water has to go somewhere. And yeah. the fire paths, you can see scars. Mm-hmm. The fire paths go through based on the winds. Yep. And it doesn't really matter if you built a multi-million no. dollar housing tract. No, it's still going to go through. No. And I saw a lot of that when I was when I lived at home. We lived in the north part of the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. So you always had the ring of fire every fall when the every Santa fall. Ana winds. Yeah. Um, well, the Santa Anas were, were brutal. Terrible. Brutal. You know, 80 mile an hour winds. So for folks you know. who have never experienced that, it could be the middle of December. Mm-hmm. It could be Christmas time. I remember having Christmas time, and yes. the Santa Ana winds will flip. And what will happen is the winds come from the desert up over the mountain ranges and into the valleys towards the ocean. If you live right on the beach, if you live within five or ten miles of the beach, mm-hmm. it's livable. The Santa Anas will still dry you out, but then when those things kind of die down a little bit, the marine layer comes in, keeps everything kind of cool. But if you live like, and I lived in El Cajon. Oh yeah. That's a oh. that's a desert. That's a mm-hmm. bowl. It's a I mean, bowl. That's really what mm-hmm. it means. The coffin, and you mm-hmm. you live out there, and it's just oh, it was brutally hot. So Christmas oh, day, yeah. it's seventy two. You know, <laughs> it's, there's static electricity and everything you touch. <laughs> right. There's ten percent humidity. Everybody's out riding their bikes. The hair standing on end. And then you're watching TV where it's snowing. Yeah. And it's not yeah. snow. It's never snowed in these places. You know, it, you're like, no. this is crazy. Yeah. And then it will turn yeah. around and flip. And when the fires start. Oh, and I, I never realized as a kid, they had a, a fire called the Cuyamaca fire that was outside of the- I remember it, that. It was huge. I used to hike in Cuyamaca. Did you? Yeah. Years ago with my it was be- It's a beautiful it area. Yeah. Kind of dry pine, high, very mm-hmm. nice. When all that stuff burned, mm. and then uh, I remember as a kid going, you know, every year we would have these big fires, yeah. and it would be the the you know you'd see it on the ridge lines, and mm-hmm. they never mm-hmm. we never evacuated any of that stuff like no. we do up here because we have so much more fuel. Right. But then uh, w- this would have been back in um, the early two thousands. We, yeah, about mid two thousands. My oldest daughter went down to visit somebody who lived in Crest, and Crest is just to the east of El Cajon and up in the hills. Okay. And I drove through the town. I had been, I lived in El Cajon for a long time, but mm-hmm. never really went to the outskirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I went, saw this place, went, this is really pretty. And then the next year when I went back through, it looked like a bomb had gone off. Oh, it, every sad. single house had burned down. Mm. And it was the first time I had seen that level of destruction mm -hmm. where I'd actually drove and driven through it, uh, other than Katrina. I had some family that lives in New, oh, in, in New Orleans, and, oh. or in, uh, not New Orleans, in, in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. And I went down to visit them after Katrina, and they said, you gotta come see the aftermath mm. of Katrina. And I said, no, nah, I, I don't really don't need to see the aftermath no. of Katrina. I've been in the third world. I don't need to go down and look at that. No, come on, come on. So we drove down there and all, you know, almost every house was vacant. Wow. I saw a shrimp and boat in the middle of an intersection. I mean, literally picked up and dropped. It was not a small boat. This is an 80 foot boat. Oh, wow, heavy. No, everything's still on the boat. Tools, radars, all the, everything. Everything was still on the boat. I mean, Swimming pools lift up out of people's backyards yeah, and go I've into the, yeah. Staggering. We went into a, uh, we drove into a uh, parking lot of a, it had to be a uh, office supply store. that hmm. was down there, like an office max or something. Mm -hmm. You could see where people gone in and out through the doors. Everything was muddy, and up to the where the level of the flood was was obviously destroyed. Above that, everything was still sitting on the shelf completely oh, untouched. From completely water. untouched. Oh my gosh. Copiers, you know, machinery, machinery yeah. all the stuff that never, Product. paper, all the stuff which is just there. Oh. So the, where, the, where the damage was done here, everything above it, nobody had even gone in. No one had taken anything. There was no looting, there was no nothing in this huh. particular area. This is St. Bernard Parish. And um, we, uh, the the sheriff drove up while we were down there, oh. and my, you know, my parents could talk the talk better than I could, and they goes, oh, you got to go see the shrimp and boat, <laughs> go mm -hmm. down over here, make a left, go down over here, you can't miss it, oh. so we did. I mean, so I, I saw that, some of that yeah. that destruction, and then same thing when I saw crest, I was just like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, you can't fathom that kind of annihilation. It's no. very hard. Well, when I was a teenager, we I we lived right near the epicenter of the Selmar earthquake mm -hmm. and our house was cracked in half and everything dumped the fridge the freezer the shelves the crystal all onto the floor and mm -hmm. like you're saying it was probably about 85 we were having a Santa Ana event we had to leave we were evacuated for three days because they said the Van Orman Dam was going to break oh. Well, when we came back, it had been three days of, you know, 85 degrees and you mm -hmm. had meat and alcohol and everything all mixed together. It was just <sighs> disgusting. It was horrific. Yeah. But it was amazing to me because people, we didn't know our neighbors. We lived in a fairly nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You never talked to your neighbors. And all of a sudden, people were coming out of their houses. It, it kind of brought people together, but yeah. just not not at all acknowledging the fact that they lived in an earthquake area. And I find it kind of interesting here because I've been involved because of fire systems. Mm -hmm. Then I've been involved more in a lot of the emergency processes and different mm -hmm. things and generator backup. And a, a lot of people that live in Oregon their whole life, it's like, well, this is Oregon. We don't have any disasters. And at the and they, school, but they sure do. Yeah, they do. They and absolutely do. They just—they're not. It's beyond comprehension. Yeah. But I think the fires, particularly the ones like in Sanium Canyon, and mm -hmm. you know, I think it's—it's it's getting a little closer to home. It's, it's scary. It, it is absolutely. I'm so glad that this year, you know, only we didn't, have it, yeah. we didn't really have mm -hmm. it here in Oregon. We did, did had a big one up in Washougal, but. You know, it, it was it was really scary. My my wife actually hauled horses and animals oh, okay. out of the fire that they had the the not last year but the year the before, canyon the gates. real big ones yeah yeah, that was yeah all that stuff because she was oh, yeah. she would go in I had no idea how 
you know, dauntless she was running into some of these places. Mm -hmm. She'd send me a video like, well, there's the fire and wow. you know, I got to go pick up all these mules and save the animals. There. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. She's, wow. she's absolutely just, just fearless to Passionate. go in there and do those things. So, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. But, and that's, that's what I think to some extent it does pull people together. I know my two daughters went down to the fairgrounds to volunteer to help mm -hmm. with. We have horses. So oh, I have horses they went too. Down. Oh, there you go. How many horses do you have? Just two. They're old. One of them's oh, nice. a, a fjord and the other one's a little runt pony. Oh, wow. And then we had uh, draft horses. We had mm -hmm. um, percherons, but yeah. we had to move them to a barn because they're too big. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a, a Belgian draft um, uh She's a, a Warm Springs Mustang, so she's a oh. mix of Belgian oh. draft, a uh, little bit of Percheron, and um, nice. another draft, which uh, eludes me at the moment. Can't she's talk. not tall. She's just mm, she's short, stocky. Mm -hmm. um, I love the horse. Oh, yeah. They yeah. have such sweet temperaments. I love them. Yeah. I loved the Percherons, but they are 2,000 pounds. These yeah, guys they're, are those, huge. Uh, the real Percherons. Yeah, she's pure. got some in it. We had her genetically tested, oh, so we know okay. what. But it's Heinz 57 that comes off the res. You never know. They're, yeah, they're completely true. intermixed. Yeah, you don't know. You have no idea. Oh, she's absolutely, and, and we got to ride on the res. So <laughs> they invited us up because we all have these babies that we got from the res. So okay. they invited us up, and eight of us, eight or nine of us, rode on the res. Oh, that's uh, we nice. had to be the first folks to really ride on the res in years. I was. It was mm. absolutely one of the highlights of my life Opened to be able to ride on the Warm Springs Res with, with travel permission. Yeah. From the owners, mm -hmm. and it was just. Aww. It was. We did an eight mile trip, and I was just absolutely mm. beaming from from ear to oh, ear the whole. God. And then we got done. They gave us soup and fry bread. Oh. Which was just like, oh, like the perfect the end. top of the mark. Mm -hmm. I've never been treated Aww. so well like that. It was just fabulous. So. Yeah. Well, they do take beautiful care of their forest. I drove over Mount Hood all the time because I have a handicapped son that lives out in uh, Antelope. So mm -hmm. it, I've always appreciated it. They they do a good job. They like them. Yeah, nice. They're good folk. They really, yeah, really are. They seem to be very hard working because it's very manicured. Yeah. They yeah. work hard at it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a, uh, so you've got, so we've had like with all of the horses and all of the stuff in the fairgrounds, do you live in Yamhill in that we, area? We live in Yamhill. We're just a little uh, bit north of town, and we have yeah. a, a three-acre property. So nice. um, we had uh, the three girls that really, I, I don't know, I had always wanted horses. I always rode as a mm -hmm. kid in California. So we got these draft horses as babies, and then they, they participated in training in them, and yeah, it was quite the adventure, yeah. but no spare cash left over there. So. <laughs> no, horses, horses will eat. <laughs> yeah, I have four horses, oh, and they, well. they'll eat you out of house and home. Yeah. But, you know, we knew that the market was going to drop out. Um, mm. So the last one we have was a BLM Mustang, and we okay. trained her. Okay. My wife trained her. I just kind of helped. And uh, yeah. we kept her because I thought, no, this horse isn't, she's not spectacular. She's yeah. not, she's not a bad horse. And I knew that there were people who could, who could take her after auction and uh but i knew if i kept her i i have enough money to make sure that she's yeah. gonna have a good life to take care of and her and sure enough the, the house the horse market just dropped it oh, just yeah. went, it just went it just completely oh, fell apart bet. so the yeah. last auction they had was you know people were just going oh my god there's you can't, you can't give these things away now mm -hmm. because you know there's less and less people into horses and right. It's now you get hard. people who, who have more horses than they have money, and then yeah. that opens up a whole other can of worms. Right. So yeah. you know, I didn't. Good. I said I I've got the space and the money and the time. I'll mm -hmm. keep I'll keep her. Keep and, 
And we'll raise her up and either ride her or, or find yeah. a good home for her, one of the well, two. Well, that's so, great. Yeah. I know ours are old and it's like, well, what are you going to do? You know, we'll keep no. them. And um, so it's, yeah, it, it's a long commitment, the horse thing. And a lot of kids, you know, they really get into it and then they get into college or whatever and they oh. lose interest. So our, our youngest, who, um, she also worked at Fox. She was going to go in the electrical program, mm-hmm. and she's kind of not sure. She takes care of the horses and raises some chickens and nice. some other things. So for now. So how but, many kids um, do you have? You have three kids? We have um, four uh-huh. that were natural born, and then we adopted two. Oh, cool. And um, so the one the one girl we got actually from Russia, she, she's she's great. She works out at the same ranch where my handicapped son lives. So nice. they're kind of together. In Antelope. In Antelope, the Young Life Ranch. It's down in the canyon where the, where the Rajneesh Rajneesh deal was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 and yeah absolutely. transformed that as beautiful lawns. In fact, there was a, a woman who did podcasting for Sarah Dillon when Rick Emerson had his podcast and Sarah Dillon broke off and I think a person that was associated with him went to that ranch to run it. Oh, like I, like there was a personality in some of the original podcasting that happened here in Portland that okay. went, hmm. you know, she was boarding a Christian and she went over there and helped run that place. So yeah, it's like- It's, it's amazing. It's always, a, it's always six degrees of separation oh, from everything, yeah. isn't it? Small world. It's yeah. a very small world. Yeah, it's a very small world. <laughs> Watch the toes you step on, folks, because there's- oh, yeah. So you've you've got a I mean you've you've got geology, uh, living in California, running a couple of companies. Um, talk about uh, com- companies and running companies. What's that? What's it? Because there's a lot of guys I know, a lot of guys, a lot of folks I know, women and men, mm-hmm. that go, I would like to run my own company. Oh yeah. Is it all that it's cracked up to be? I think the biggest problem I've seen I've met a lot of people that wanted to run their own company. And if you don't have passion, you've mm-hmm. got to have passion for what you're doing, regardless of what it is. It doesn't really matter. Sell vacuum cleaners, do uh, geologic surveys, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. And if you don't have that passion, you probably are not going to make it okay. because it's hard. It's very hard. It's really, well, I'll give you an example. Like when we went to work for D&D, mm-hmm. um, we'd kind of been through the ringer and I'd had a couple kids. and. So sales, sales is, is, you know, really, really trying to meet the customer's need if you're good. You want to you wanna find out what keeps them up at night. What do they really need? And, of course, what can they afford? And there's a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of satisfaction in that. And that will build your company because they trust you and you're giving them a good product. But that's usually off hours. It's at night. It's mm-hmm. maybe on Saturdays. And so I ended up saying, I know I'm going to make way less money as an installer, but I I just can't do it. I've got a bunch of little kids. Well, when we built our company, you know, I didn't have children at the time. And it was just the two of us. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a huge mortgage. We had saved and paid for a one-room cabin on five acres in the desert. And so we were able to do it without the huge financial pressure that people have now. Mm -hmm. We did not have debt. We started out with one truck and the two of us. Yeah. And then I got an office manager because I was going crazy. And then we started hiring employees, and we got to the point where we had three crews, two crews, a service manager, a salesman, a couple people office. And then um, my husband and I did most of the troubleshooting, and I still did sales. I had mm-hmm. another one that did sales too. I did the, you know, the more complex stuff as I moved on. 
but it didn't start didn't start that way. It was a lot of work. I mean, we were out in the desert sometimes till 11, 12 at night wiring a new house because it was going to get insulated the next day. Mm-hmm. We have no choice. And we have no choice. Yep. Um, physically, it's it's been really interesting for me. Uh, kept me in pretty good shape for mm-hmm. many years, climbing in the ladders and all that. On the other hand, I've also fallen off ladders and fallen downstairs and ruptured discs and you know, it, it's a, and you're going to do that whether you're in alarms or electrical or, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of physical occupation. And you're probably not going to go take six weeks off just because your wife had a baby because you got to be there. Um, all the perks that are in the employment, in the, I should say, human resources department, yeah, it's pretty hard to do that when you're self-employed. Yeah. And and I see that with some of the small electrical contractors. So it's funny, one of them was an apprentice when we worked at D&D, and now he's had his own business for years, and he's still out there stringing wire, mm-hmm. if need be. Um, and that's that's kind of a difference. And it is harder because there's there's more requirements as far as government intervention, yeah. which, which does make it harder. Yeah, especially... You know, when we had a small business, you had to estimate taxes and, oh yeah, you know, if if you got to make payroll and you don't have this, you know, the money ready cash and you've already tapped in your now, what do you do? Well, how do you do that? How do you make payroll when things got tight and things can get tight quickly? Things can go sideways quickly when you own a small business. Oh, very quickly, instantly, instantly. It's um, we always would make sure that we paid the employees first, but there were months when we really didn't have any money I, for ourselves. I, I ran know? a company for three years, there and I didn't take, I think I took a total of, shoot, three, 3700 oh, maybe $4,000 out of it in three years mm-hmm. of running it. And now my my employees and the other two owners were paid. We, yeah, we made sure they paid. We, we had, we covered, it, it was during 2008, okay. right during the, the mm-hmm. They called it a recession, but mm, uh, hit pretty depression. hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we ran the company through eight, nine. I think it was nine, ten, eleven is when we ran it. Okay, and then we mm-hmm. sold it, and we sold it for exactly what we paid for it, mm-hmm. and walked away well. okay. with without any debt. You did all right. But I did get audited, uh-huh. which was an experience in itself. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. that. And and then that, that was that was uh, a, a, as as brutal as brutal a a um, an experience. As you could imagine, it, oh, and I happen to have a CPA that that was fabulous, mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. uh, is well known in Clackamas County, who uh, went to extraordinary lengths to deal with this auditor. I don't know how the government made a dime on it because she made that auditor mm-hmm. work so hard. And you know what auditors are worth? <laughs> so, a lot of money. You know, yeah. She, yeah. By the time they were yeah. done, if you balance the books on it, it, was like what a waste. And it was all because of an '80s computer glitch. Oh. Because in the eight, it was a dog daycare. So in the eighties, when they built those computers mm-hmm. that the IRS was using, the dog daycare and child daycare, there was no dog daycare. So there was child daycare. Oh, so if no. your ratio, if your visa, your credit card to cash receipts were off, uh, then you were either fronting or oh, something yeah. was wrong. Target. And that mm-hmm. was a target. It got flagged, right. and that's why we got we got audited oh. was because of that. So it was just it was ridiculous stuff, so stuff that you can't. That you you can't alter, and once the man yeah. comes down on you, you got to deal with it. So oh yeah, they're not going away. 
<sighs> yeah, they are not going away. No. no, it's. I think it's been. It's very hard, um, especially now. Well, some states are worse than others. Yeah. You know, California had the Board of Equalization, where they. Oh, I, I would, yeah. I, I would always never own a business there. Thank God. <laughs> Everybody becomes equally poor. I would always say. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely equalizes the playing field. It definitely does that. But you know, you're you're taking taxes from your customers, and somehow you have to squirrel them away, and then make sure mm-hmm. you have it to pay the government. And yeah, yeah it's it's very cumbersome. Well, like say the first person we hired I went back in the field and we hired an office manager because mm-hmm. there's a lot of paperwork there's a lot to do and and I think it's become hostile towards small businesses yeah, which is I, I, th- I don't think unhealthy. you're wrong there yeah. I, and that's and, really and it's weird sad. because even in California where the economy is the probably the sixth in the world giant yeah it's, it's a like a huge, country it's a huge economy correct you know you yeah. would think that it would be easier to work with but it's a lot like portland it's a, it's a lot like it's yes. it's it's a you know portland's a microcosm of what california is like in some exactly. degree and it's yeah. like you you've got a lot i mean i paid because my business was in portland i had to pay for you know trimet and oh, a frame right. signs and mm. you know permits for this and costs for that and cost to be inspected by the fire marshal all those things that uh. that you you know you think about because mm-hmm. when i was working for fire contractors up here, mm-hmm. you know, the fire marshal shows up and does an inspection and then they get these things, you gotta go out and fix them. Right. That's not a free service. <laughs> no nope. pay for that. Okay. And you know, and and, yeah. and and you just don't know all the hidden things that are there until no. you actually experience it. And I think that's one of the hardest things for people starting business now. Um, it my son wants to start, he's he's in heavy equipment, has a mm-hmm. business degree and all that. And I'm sure he could do it, but it is there's a lot of hidden costs that yeah. you have to research thoroughly, or you can end up with problems. And you know, when we had our alarm company, there was liability. I mean, we still had to buy really expensive liability insurance mm-hmm. and all that. But it was a lot easier to say, I'm sorry, Mr. Customer, look at line 22 of your contract. You don't have a leg to stand on. And chances are they just go back in their hole. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not like that now. People are much more ready, willing to sue over it's nothing. It's a very litigious society, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> it, and, you know, it's harder to find employees that you really trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I know even at George Fox, they've done a very good job. But there was a period of time when we got people that just weren't worth worth what they were getting paid or you know and they got fired mm. but that costs you a lot of money if you mm. have turnover yeah. but um one thing that we did which was just and i'll bring this up just as kind of interesting this was back in the 80s we were out in the desert and it's extremely hot in the summer and you're doing new construction so you're outside drilling holes through window headers all day and mm-hmm. we had these women we had two teams of girls and they were in their late 20s probably one of them was probably mid-30s uh, some were mom. They were all moms, and they wanted. They didn't have technical training, mm-hmm. but they decided they wanted to get into the trades and get a good job. Well, we didn't care. We just didn't want somebody that pass out on the rafters and die on us because it was a real problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it worked. We had these two teams, and they'd go out there and they'd wire these houses out there in the heat, and wow. they loved their jobs. Well, we bought them. Probably was a little marketing issue, but you know I'd been taught old school that you know first impressions, lasting impressions. So you want your people to look really good. So they all had really, really nice uniforms. You know, dark blue pants and light blue shirts. And in the winter, they had really nice jackets. And in the summer, they had shorts. Mm-hmm. So 
they would tell me that, well, we don't understand why the other trades will stand around at the bottom of the house and watch us <laughs> climb in the rafters. I'm like, well, it was, it was really fun. But they did a good job. And it kind of got us a little bit of a unique name for good. ourselves. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good marketing tip. But yeah. they were good. And they could take the heat. That was the bottom line. <laughs> they could take the heat. We should have put that on their shirts. I mean, should we we take could take the heat. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, they were great. The only, it, it, I kind of really felt like I was probably not the most benevolent employer because one of them radioed in. The partner had fallen through a ceiling in a dining room. She slipped off the rafters and was hanging there. And my first question was, how much damage she had done to the women's dining room table. <laughs> anyway, she was fine, but I wasn't probably the most caring employee. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank All you right. so much for coming. Oh, in well, today. thank you for inviting me. I was Just, so blown away. I had no idea what you guys were about. Yeah, good. So well, this is great. This is it. Would well, you come back? Oh, sure. Yeah. Nice. I, we can always talk about something. There's lots of stories. Sweet. It's good. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you. It's good to meet you. Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And share us with a friend, the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.